0: The NetApp Data Fabric has changed the way we look at data protection. And this week, we bring in three experts from Veeam and NetApp to talk about data protection and how Snap to Everything has changed the game forever.
1: Welcome to the Tech On Tap Podcast. With Pedro Arrow, Uncle Glenn Sizemore, and Sully the Monster.
0: Hello, NetApp! Oh, yeah. Good afternoon and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast, episode number 14. My name is Pete Fletcher, a.k.a. Pedro Arrow, and joining me as always is one of the most intelligent, passionate, fearless, yet selfless people I've ever had the privilege of spending time with. A man who has helped me countless times, both professionally and personally, and one of the very few people I would even consider calling a true friend. Ladies and gentlemen, your friend and mine. The esteemed Glenn Sizemore.
2: Glenn, how you doing, buddy? Man, you just keep trying to pile these up as high as
0: you can get them. <laughs> just like, how red can I make Glenn? Well, there's a reason I did that one. I'm going to explain yeah, that in a no, minute. Yeah. However, sitting next to you is not Sully, because he's out preaching the good word of containers on NetApp. He's
2: eating raw chicken, <laughs> which I don't approve of, but is a thing where if you can get it in the right place of the world.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's he's out at a trade show, but he's preaching the good word of containers on NetApp, and in his place is no stranger to the podcast and certainly no stranger to the NetApp community. You can find him on Twitter at NFSDudeAbides, and uh, his name is Justin Parisi. Justin, thanks for filling in, buddy. Should I, should I talk like Sully really, <laughs> really low? Well, you got to get about two yeah, feet you're, away from the mic. You're <laughs> way too close to that microphone. Hi. Hi. There Hi you guys. go. Much better. Much better. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to do that all strong. I'm sorry. Now you just need to disagree with everything Glenn says, and w- it's like he's here. Yeah, that's basically what I need you to do.
1: I'm not going to do that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. On to my cheesy Glenn greeting that was a little awkward and Glenn got all red. Uh, the reason I did that is because I wanted to, at one point, obviously do a Glenn greeting one day. And uh, there is no more appropriate time than to do it on my very last time on the Tech on Tap podcast. Boo. Yeah, so uh, for those of you listening, I have horrible news, but it's good oh, news. Oh, no,
2: whatever, man. It's, it's all fantastic news. It's happy days all the way around. Don't you start that.
0: It's bittersweet for me because uh, I've accepted a position at VMware to focus on storage with with virtualization, and so I'm going to be still in the same family but wearing a different color hat Uh, But always bleeding blue, and I've told everybody at VMware that I will be a strong advocate for NetApp, and that never changes. But this is officially my last full uh, time as a podcast member. I will be coming in. We will be doing the daily recaps in Berlin, uh, and I will be in Berlin doing our sessions and hopefully meeting all the uh, listeners that are out there that are coming. Looking forward to that. But this will be my last one. Filling in for me is a man with a face for radio, Justin Parisi. Hi. (laughs) Hi. Yeah, so Justin's going to be part of the uh, podcast family officially right after uh, Insight, and so we're pretty excited about that. You may remember me from five minutes ago. All right, we got a great episode this week. This is going to be a little out of the norm for us. It's not a structured, uh, this product, let's dive deep. This is more of a topic, uh, technology topic around you know some NetApp stuff. And we brought some different experts from different parts of, uh, of the world, but also different, different job roles. So it's, we're excited to bring in three people to add to this conversation. So we'll start with, from Veeam, SE, and also NetApp A team member, Michael Cade. Michael, welcome to the podcast.
3: Hey, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: Also joining us today from NetApp, technical marketing engineer uh, focusing on Snap Center, is John Spinks. John, welcome back to the podcast.
4: All right, thanks everybody for having me back.
0: And lastly, uh, no stranger to the podcast and co-presenter for me at Insight, Miss Rachel Dines. How you doing, Rachel?
5: Hey, Pete, doing okay. Though you're breaking my heart, I'm crying here quietly. <laughs>
0: Oh, don't cry. Don't cry. Just uh, talk a lot of good AltaVault for us. We need your brain.
2: <laughs> oh, no. I love this because this means that like I'm I'm just weeks away from the next time I want to have a rant on VVols or, or VAI. <laughs> I'm calling you, and and we're just going to have it out.
0: Call me. I'm coming to the podcast as a okay. guest from VMware. All right. Yeah, I'm yeah. ready. Are I, you going to be like you're... that
1: guy from high school that was popular and then keeps coming back?
0: Probably, <laughs> minus the popular part. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was
5: going to say, the popular part, That's that's not right. That's no, I'm just gonna there.
0: guy that keeps coming back to play foosball. Actually, <laughs> yeah.
2: How are you gonna do that? You're gonna have to come in the office just to stay current, man.
0: Visitor pass, yeah, visitor pass, just so so Dan can school you. Yeah. It's all right. Awesome. So guys, we want we brought you guys in because at Insight, a lot of cool things happened. You know, our founder Dave hits. He did a pretty cool demo at Insight. For those of you that haven't seen the demo, it's on netapp-insight.com on one of the general sessions, but he showed some really cool stuff around the data fabric. It was all about Snap mirror to everything. You know, he showed some examples of uh, using uh, on command Cloud Manager and literally dragging and dropping data from AWS over to an Azure Cloud instance. Really simple stuff, and it was really, really next-generation technology. I was pretty excited about that, and I wanted to bring you guys in to sort of get a couple of opinions. And So, Glenn, what was the first question that you mentioned earlier? I think that's a great way to kick it off.
2: Yeah, you know, it's just... I found it kind of interesting. We're definitely going to be talking about SnapMirror to everything and, and what that means uh, for, for these various different ecosystems. But, you know, th- the thing that kind of popped in my mind is we, we had just came off this string of data protection-related podcasts. You know, we talked to Rachel about AltaVault. We talked to John about SnapCenter. Uh, data protection came up in the NetO show talking about CPOC and, and customer proof of concept. So it's a topic that, that has been reoccurring uh, for us for the better part of about a month and a half oh yeah and then when that demo hit it was just like okay well now this is getting really gray it's getting really blurry and i'm you know as a tme part of my job is to be able to explain things to people yes right so i have to rationalize what this is and be able to internalize it so that i can you know make that clear to other people and for me even it's starting to get a little like okay, so when should you use snapshots? Like, when is replication? Or, or when would you need a third-party plugin? whens isn't the storage controller by itself enough? So I thought it would be really cool if we could just get, uh, if we just got all the, the key players involved, yep. which is what we've done. We've got Rachel on the phone. Uh, prior to AltaVault, of course, you were you were a Forrester analyst, right?
5: Yep. I was at Forrester for seven years covering yeah. this stuff. So yeah, so yeah.
2: So this is Rachel's background. This is her subject matter expertise. Uh, Michael, of course, is at Veeam, which, yep. come on now, this is what they do, yep. right? And then John Spinks is our Snap Center uh, TME. So we've got the right people in the room. Yep. Let's just start talking about data protection and the different types of things that influence these decisions and, and where uh, one, one product offering would be a better answer for a customer versus another and, and see if we can rationalize this you know, amongst ourselves. We'll just have a little bit of a conversation, and hopefully the listeners can learn something along the way.
0: I love it. I love it. Michael, why don't you kick it off? So I think from a data protection
3: point of view, just to, just to set a bit of a tone, any backup methodology, any data protection methodology should kick off with a 3 two, one type ruling. It doesn't matter what, whether we're using any backup. Three copies of your data, two different media types and one offsite. The whole snap mirror to everything can really bring that home. Getting your data from the FaZ to the to an e series to an AltaVault, and then into a cloud or or off an e-series into a another repository, that really brings that 321 rule home. I guess just to, just to plug that bean card is the so the current integration with FAS and the the orchestrating of snapshots, snap mirror, snap vault. If if that can evolve into us being able to do stuff with the the snapshot over to an older vault and orchestrate that, then we've got our 321 being able to leverage all areas from NetApp and Veeam.
2: So, Rachel, is that, do you agree with that? Is that kind of the heart, that 321 methodology? I'm familiar with that term. I'm just curious. Like, Can we all agree that that is the core design philosophy, or is there perhaps some disagreement at that level?
5: I definitely agree that you know the 321 methodology is tried and true right I mean the it used to be a combination more disk and tape I would argue now that you know one of those copies should definitely be cloud but at its core I think I absolutely agree with Michael that 321 is the way to go you know when we talk about data protection to me it's much bigger than backup and recovery and I'm actually curious about how the rest of you think about data protection to me data protection is an overarching term that can have everything from backup to DR to HA to archive, of course, being a backup person, backup, I think is really that fundamental layer where without that, without your three, two, one copies, uh, y- y- you're screwed, right? But you also need to think bigger than, than just backup. I-, I don't know. What do you guys think about that?
2: John, why don't you start off on that?
4: I just wanted to point out something interesting. I just heard Rachel say, you know, that one copy offsite, traditionally, that's always been tape but now it's tape or cloud. And that's a transition that is a fairly new one for us. You know, A lot of people considering taking that offsite copy and suddenly that's a cloud copy. Uh, that opens up a lot of potential use cases for the cloud and with yeah. data protection. So yeah, we, uh, we, I just wanted to go ahead and reiterate that point.
2: Yeah, we'll definitely pull that one apart. Um, so we'll write that down. We're gonna revisit this topic of, do you need a remote copy or is that remote copy now mandatory cloud copy? Data protection is more than just backup. Everyone agree?
0: Yes. Yes.
2: Yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So we all agree there uh, th- there are many problems that need to be solved. So, uh, My- Michael, can you go ahead and lay it on us one more time?
3: Cool. So three copies of your data. That's Your first is your production. Your second is next to your production. And then your third is an off-site copy of that, wherever that may be. We're looking at two different media types. So, obviously, your production storage is, let's say, FAS. Uh, our primary backup storage that's sat next to our FAS, let's say UltraVault. And then we have one copy offsite, which let's say it's sat in Azure.
0: So the one could be a cloud instance. Yeah.
5: You know, you so you have multiple. You've got three copies, right? At least three copies. you have got the primary and two secondaries, or a secondary and a tertiary, and then you want to have them on different medium, right? Because that's going to help save you against corruption. Just imagine if you were all you were doing is you know you had three phases and you're replicating between each other. You know, you could have a potential corruption on one that would corrupt the other two downstream. So you need to have different media for corruption. Then of course, at least one offsite for DR. So you've got two. Your two different copies are disk and tape. Uh, on site and then another copy of tape sent off site. And then slowly over you know the years we evolved to disc to disc to tape. So you had two local disc copies on different media. So maybe a FAS and a uh, you know, an e-series, and then once again, still going to tape for that offsite copy. I would argue the new paradigm for three, two, one, and for generally most enterprise backup strategies is going to be disk to disk to cloud. You know, primary copy, backup to a local disk cache, and then replicate off to the cloud. That fulfills all of three, two, one in a really clean, simple, and efficient way.
0: All right, let me ask you an AltaVault question. Then on that paradigm, you told me a couple of weeks ago when you were in here that the majority of the restorations for AltaVault are going to happen on-site from disk, right? Yep. Because AltaVault is two different ways to restore, right? You've got that cloud, so you're covered in the event that there's any hole-in-the-ground scenario because it's going to be off-site, but at the same time, the restores are being done from disk.
5: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, let's face it. Restore from a local disk cache is always going to be faster and less expensive than a restore from the cloud. So while you know we have that cloud copy out there for customers to restore, we don't actually want them to ever have to use it. That's like, you know, you're restoring from the cloud and only 5% of the time is the design point for this. And so that local copy is your second uh, on-site copy is the vault cache and then your third copy becomes the cloud. So yeah, you could restore from either on-prem or the cloud and the cloud copy is really for restoring something that's really old and maybe it got just, you know, it was vaulted out to the cloud and for whatever reason you need to restore a backup that's six months old um, or in case of, you know, I don't like to say smoking hole disaster because those aren't very realistic, but in case you know, lose your primary data center in more of a DR situation.
1: The whole smoking hole scenario. I mean, that you're right. That's not entirely realistic. We have seen it. I mean, we've seen instances where customers have it's, a it's sprinkler system. Yeah, come it's in. usually a flood. Oh, usually yeah. water. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or no,
5: no. Or yeah, fires. halon. Yeah, halon. Whatever. No, no, no. I, I, uh, the reason I don't like the term smoking hole is that's not a realistic scenario. What is realistic is a flood, a power outage, a network outage. You know, human error. Sure. Um, you know, not actually the data center being a crater and being gone forever. And you think about those types of disasters very differently, right? Because but let's just take a power outage for a moment. That equipment's all safe and sound and ex- and will be fine when the power comes back versus a sprinkler, which might, you know, potentially have some damage to the systems. Yeah. I know they're probably using, you know, FM200 or, or Novak or some kind of safe, safe system. You know, there's damage. A crater in the ground where your data center used to be, that's not going to happen all that often.
1: Okay, I see what you're saying. So you, you don't like the analogy because, yeah. Yeah, the analogy implies that it's like
2: this catastrophic disaster when, when, in fact, what it's supposed to convey is a total loss of equipment.
0: Yep. It's yes. not doomsday. It's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
2: it just means that for whatever reason, you've lost the hardware. It's yep. gone.
0: You need a plan B. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Michael, you're you're in London and... Yeah, just outside. So... Not that it's a different world out there, but does, is it slightly different? What, what use cases do you see in Europe in the, as it pertains to data protection? Is there anything, any insight into uh, what what are some of the more common use cases you see for uh, data protection in, in some of your customers?
3: So, yeah, very similar to what Rachel said in that there's a lot of customers that I speak to that are still nervous about moving away from tape. They know that tape has been the done thing for, for years, but they're, they're now toying with the idea about getting into the cloud. We're probably a few years behind you guys guys and pushing that technology. But yeah, it's definitely starting. We've got the links here now to those those hyperscaler cloud providers. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely coming over here.
2: Okay, so I think we've got a real solid understanding. You know, we're dealing with a a general category of problem set, not a point technology. It appears that, you know, at least through the U.S. and EMEA markets, we have consistency of the problem. Yep. Um, you know, we don't have APAC represented on this particular call, but if it turns out that that market's different, we'll do another episode. That's yes. the beauty of this show. So, what about to kind of pick at something that Rachel was was alluding to earlier? What if we take a use case like, for instance, oh, I don't know, Exchange, right? Uh, Exchange 2013, we can effectively do a three-two-one directly inside the app tier, right? Because we've got DAGs, we can have multiple copies locally, we can have a remote copy, uh, we can even you know, put those copies on different media since we're using application-based replication. Uh, log and, shipping. Yeah, potentially with log shipping and or lag copies that, that just delay replay. You know? But even in that scenario, and, and this is why I brought it up, That only protects you against actual failure. If you run into a virus or corruption or something that were to be able to compromise the data in place without actually compromising the system, the system will happily replicate that corruption throughout the entire propagation chain. So in a scenario like that where, and admittedly, this is a bit of a softball, but, you know, this is that use case where, you know, when it first came out, people looked at it and said, A, enterprise storage is dead. B, I don't ever have to do backups anymore. Right. Some organizations try that. Most of them continue to back it up because of that fear of, well, what happens if something goes wrong, right? So uh, what other types of workloads are out there where, you know, perhaps people look at at it at first light and say, well, I don't need to protect this. And then when you actually start to pull it apart, you know, it turns out, oh, no, no, you still need to back that up. You still need to have this data protection methodology around it.
0: Yeah, it turns out there's a difference between data protection and continuous availability. Yeah, precisely.
5: Well, there is a big one to me that um, I think most people are not protecting this today. And in my opinion, it's a huge risk. And it's SaaS applications.
2: Mm, Interesting. So,
5: yeah, for example, organizations that go to Office 365 or to Salesforce or to, you know, every major enterprise is using SaaS. In fact, I think the latest stat I saw uh, from Forrester was 40 plus different SaaS solutions, at the average large enterprise. But we don't back those up. You know, who backs those up? Well, you know, obviously you rely on the SaaS provider to take the backups, but that could potentially lead to a big gap and loss of control. It's something I think more organizations are going to need to start thinking about in the coming years.
2: Yeah, because that data that resides inside that SaaS application, that's your customer data. That's your business data. It doesn't matter that you're not running it. You still need the data
0: itself. Exactly. From a consumer perspective. You know, everyone's embracing the cloud, you know, and getting their their pictures up to different places and and, and using, you know, s- sources like Amazon to, you know, to upload all their photos. Yeah, you right? know, that's a great one. But yeah. no one ever really thinks about the fact that uh, well, that's protected by them. I'm sure it is. Right. It's, like there's never any any thought process. Yeah, there's that there's it's an not assumption. going to be there. Right. <laughs> yeah. Hey,
5: speak I, for yourself, dudes. I, I protect across multiple clouds.
0: Oh, you're doing a 3 model on all your photos?
5: <laughs> on my pictures, basically, yeah.
1: Well, I mean, we would expect nothing less from you.
0: <laughs> yeah, at this point, if you weren't doing it, I would
2: actually be a little bit disappointed. That's a good point, Pete. Um, uh, not maybe as relevant inside the enterprise space, but it is another good example, you know, where you look at it and go, well, I have iCloud, right? All my, all my photos are going there. I don't yep. need that. And then, you know, three years later, you go and try to find that picture of your kid and figure out, oh, well, this isn't a full full res copy of the photo. I actually lost this data. This is just like a thumbnail that I can I can look at, but I can't like print this out or blow it up. I can't do anything with it.
4: John, what about you? Can you make, can I was you... going to say I'm in the same boat as Rachel here because I've got my primary copy of my photos on my phone. I've got a secondary backup on my storage system at home. That's a uh, you know consumer grade storage. And then I send all that off to crash plan. So I've got my three, two, one as well.
2: Oh, boy. Okay, now I'm feeling bad.
1: I've just got, like, all my stuff sitting in one drive, and if it ever dies, I'm screwed. What? None of you guys have a homegrown tape backup solution? Come on.
5: Come on. Tape? Really? Get with the program.
0: <laughs> what? Is, ta- is tape dead? Oh, you're going to be shamed.
5: Oh, boy. You want to get me going here? Is I tape mean- dead?
0: Uh, we can have this fight if you'd like to have it. Hey, we got all Michael right, all we right. got Michael on here. So, Michael, is tape dead?
3: Uh, probably not over here, but... Yeah, I think it's going the way of the dodo.
5: Clearly it's not dead, right? But should it be dead, at least for backup? Absolutely, yeah, for sure. yes, in my opinion. You know, I do think there is a place for tape for, like, doing low, low, low-tier DR recovery in some situations, although most of those scenarios could really be fulfilled with Cloud. It's not dead. It's There's actually, like... 50 something plus percent of companies are still using it, according to the latest stat I saw. But should it be dead? Well, that's a, that's a different story, I think. So, yes. so,
1: why should it be dead, Rachel? Tell me why.
5: Two main reasons to me. One, labor costs. Even when you're actually handling physical media like that, that it's true. actually very, very expensive. Yeah. So, actually, this is a great Veeam and NetApp joint customer with AltaVault, King County, one of my favorite customers right now because they spoke at Insight, did a great job. They were previously going dis to dis to tape with data domain. They got rid of the tape, they got rid of the data domain, they dropped in the alt vault. Veeam was managing all of this from a backup perspective. When they got rid of the tape, those people now work on more interesting projects. Two whole people that were just managing tape the whole time. So that's my what problem one. Problem two, it is error prone because we don't handle it properly. So, you know, you see a lot of statistics thrown around about how tape is, you know, unreliable. If if you manage tape perfectly, keep it in the physical conditions it needs. It's actually fairly reliable, yep. but we don't do that. We put them in the glove box of our car. You know, we throw them in the back seat. We throw them on a truck and ship them off, and that makes them actually very unreliable and can be hard to get your data off tapes when you really need it.
1: So are you talking about backup tapes or your credence tapes?
5: Uh-huh. Both.
1: Okay, because I, I don't keep my backup tapes in my car, but I can see your point. I mean, you're right. The, the conditions need to be ideal for, for tape to survive, right?
5: I have heard we, multiple instances of pe- of customers throwing backup tapes in their cars. I that, mean, I, I, don't, I don't do awesome. it either, but but it is I, I hear it enough that I think it's a trend. Fantastic.
4: We absolutely say- have smaller customers that are doing that. They're taking their backup tapes home at night to get that off-site copy away from the office, and then they're just leaving it in the car overnight, bringing it back the next day to recycle the tapes. Man, that's, that's- I'm, yeah, not gonna,
0: that- I'm not going to say I've never done that. <laughs> that-
4: <laughs> Well, I mean, that's the type of thing where you look at
2: it and you go, you know, you talk to the customer, go, what are you doing? And they go, well, well, you know, I wanted to get it out of the building. What if the building caught on fire? And you go, oh, man, your heart's in the right place. But you're putting a tape through a humidity cycle every single night, like you're destroying that media before your very eyes. This is the exact worst thing you could do. I'm actually on the other side of this fence. You know, we've had this conversation before on this podcast. I actually think that a tape is not dead. Uh, B will never die and will always have a place. It's got a very small role these days. It used to be the media where you stored your secondary copy. Now it's the media where you store things that you are forced to back up for legal reasons, but don't ever actually need to worry about getting back.
0: And on that episode, I vehemently disagreed I with know. you until you brought that one point yeah. up and then you convinced me and I turned my point of view. And that was the fact that you don't necessarily have to restore it. You just need to legally show that you've backed it up. And yeah, so- it,
2: it it depends on why why you're doing the backup. There's backups and data protection methodologies that are structured around ensuring that you don't lose business business critical data. Right. And then there's data protection, you know, methodologies that have come into existence because of legislation. You know, there are regulations and laws that we have to follow, particularly with data. And as data moves around the world and different parts of the world have different uh, requirements about how you keep it and how long you keep it. And not all of those requirements actually say you have to be able to get it back. Right. They just say that you have to be able to prove that you maintained the trust chain. You tried to back it up. You can prove that you backed it up. You can prove that you had control of it throughout its life cycle. It just didn't restore off the tape. Sure.
0: Let's talk a little bit about data mobility as it pertains to SnapMirror to everything. Dave Hitz did a really cool demo at Insight talking about data protection. He showed an example with AltaVault, which I thought was pretty cool, which is why, uh, Rachel, I wanted to get your opinion on that. But I'd love to start the, the conversation with a little bit of context, right? Dave Hitz explained it perfectly, and he said that, you know, there have been many trends throughout the years that have changed the way people do business, and people migrated from Linux to NT back in the '90s uh, because everybody was going to go towards NT, and then ultimately many people went back to Linux uh, or Unix and said that there's room for both, right? And so. Dave Hitz articulated it in a way that cloud is important, not everybody will go to cloud, but it needs to be part of a toolkit, not necessarily the one solution, and, and really demonstrated how that data mobility is done through SnapMirror, whether it's from cloud to cloud through SnapMirror, whether it's using AltaVault, whether you're using NetApp Private Storage, You know, so many different use cases. So I'd like to pull the room real quick on sort of what, what did you think about the demo that Dave Hitz did with the drag and drop, and as well as uh, what do you think about the whole SnapMirror to everything concept as it pertains to NetApp Private Storage? storage, cloud on tap, and also things like Cloud AlteVault. Let's start with Michael.
3: Yeah, the session was brilliant. My take on trends is it takes the likes of us and many of our peers to make these trends happen, talking about it, raving about these things. And I I suppose the, the first thing that we're starting to see, I think with cloud, and I'm sure Rachel can see this as well, is that backup as a service, DR as a service, into those cloud hyperscaler providers, service providers that's definitely becoming a, a reality for some of our customers.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
4: What about you, John? Uh, I've got a little bit of an inside track here, perhaps, so i got to watch my words because we've been playing with uh, SnapMirror to everything in the lab with SnapCenter for a while. So this is something that's very much at the forefront of our minds. Uh, we want to make sure that we're enabling customers with this capability to SnapMirror, not just from Fast systems, but SnapMirror, SnapVault, everywhere. I'm looking forward to this actually getting productized and getting released and accessible to customers.
5: Rachel? That keynote was so great. Um, I watched it again this morning, actually, and just was, I'm really excited about this. I mean, first of all, we've been talking about Data Fabric for about a year now, right, at NetApp. And what Data Fabric really needs is a common engine and a common transport, and that clearly is SnapMirror. And so now it's official, it's out there, we are going to add SnapMirror to the whole portfolio. And that's just going to give customers the ability to seamlessly move data wherever they need it. I mean, truly, really, really seamlessly drag and drop. So that plus showing that with AltaVault, which adding SnapMirror into AltaVault is the number one feature request I hear from customers. And I don't blame them. I bet. Right now, with the way we send backups into AltaVault or with streaming backup solutions, which works really well. But for customers that are heavy into NetApp and want to be able to snap directly into AltaVault, you know, from their FAS or now in the future, even from E-Series or from all Flash FAS, we want to give them that capability. Really, really cool stuff coming down the line. Yeah,
2: the thing that I'm personally like super excited about is just all the options that all of a sudden are in my tool bag from from a solutions perspective. Yeah. You know, we sit down with, with inside the FlexPod team and we start analyzing a, a market need or, or a technical ability and start polishing that into a solution that we think would help customers. Now we're going to have just a plethora of options Right. When you start to walk this thing back, you know, we've got storage grid and maybe the world's best object store system on the planet. Right. Uh, On the back end, we've got AltaVault and just the most efficient thing you can find when it comes to squeezing 10 pounds in a five pound bag. And now we've got the interoperability between the actual core storage platforms, between data on tap itself, centricity itself and the ability to easily move data. I don't want to say like non-disruptively or quickly because, sure. you know, in all cases we're going to be dealing with actual copies and copies take time. Yeah. Um, but it will be easy because we'll, we'll have a common protocol and a common management framework. I was a little bit surprised. Uh, I'm curious, did anyone know that this demo was going to be an insight? Cause I was, I was caught <laughs> completely off guard and just was sitting there going, Holy crap. He just announced that.
5: <laughs> Some of us might've helped him with it.
2: <laughs> I bet. I bet. So, so that means, Rachel, you know. So that was real, right? Come on. Let, we've got to ask. No,
0: no it's the Listeners real. have it, asked.
5: It's real. It, it is it definitely is real. real. Yeah, it's real.
0: Why didn't you tell us, Rachel? We have NDA.
5: There were even folks on the AltVault team that didn't know this was going to be on Insight. So it was very, very, kept in a very, very small circle.
0: Sure. For
1: me, that was a light bulb moment, right? So if you're wondering about Data Fabric and you're like, man, what is this Data Fabric? What's it going to do for me? What's the value? And then you see that happen, you're like, oh. Yeah, that's what I want it for. And that really just added the extra reality to the Data Fabric story because now I can see the use case. Now I can understand where they're going with this. Yep.
5: Let me take this a step further because I actually think they could have pushed the keynote even further into future land. Imagine now that you can snap mirror anywhere seamlessly within the organization, you snap to the cloud. You've got it stored in all the all alt format, deduped in the cloud. Then you can snap mirror it to cloud on top. And then what do you do with that data? Maybe that's you've turned your backups into an analytics repository. So it's not only that movement, but then what do you do with the data once you have moved it? it that's the really cool next piece.
2: Well, yeah. And, and, and I'm also like super interested to see, you know, we're not going to actually answer questions or get into this, but, you know, like what about SF Rod and, and all that sort of stuff? Like, does, is all that stuff going to work? Because, Single file restore on demand from an AltaVault target sitting in the cloud. That's insane. I don't even know how to like comprehend that. That would, it, th- that is literally like mind melting. Oh, yeah. You know, but we'll see. It's exciting times
0: no matter what. So, the other part of that keynote, which like right before the demo, Dave had sort of explained that there were three sort of categories new, growing and stable, right? And so yeah. when you think about data fabric, oh, all this mobility, but why do you need the data mobility, right? Like how, how often are you going to move? And I thought it was cool how he showed that for a lot of new companies that are experimenting something, you know, that would be new. They're probably going to go straight to Amazon. Whereas you know there might be someone that says, "Hey, this is actually starting to work, but the current billing scale for Amazon or Azure is maybe pricey the way I have it, or uh, maybe I'm, I can do something that's a little bit more simplified, maybe like an enterprise level type payment structure and so maybe I move to a different cloud provider that you know has a different payment scale or maybe even offerings that are more specific to my particular business and then you know the, the end result is where does it go ultimately whether it's you know to maybe just to Rackspace or just to some completely different cloud provider but so many different options also so many different reasons is it a legal reason you know we're doing some audit that they need this data so we're going to move that data from Azure over to some lo- other location so many different reasons for the data mobility I thought he did a pretty good job of explaining those different use cases and that really supports why having a a mobile data fabric solution like NetApp is just needed in the future.
2: Well, it also simplifies the other side, right? You know, so you get into the stability phase. You have a predictable application that the business depends on. It's part of how you make money. It's part of how how you function as an organization. You also need to be able to protect that. There's nothing running in the stable phase that, that doesn't require data protection. That's like a core requirement of, of being over there. Agreed, yeah. Right? So, you know, by, by having this seamless framework where you can... You know, go ahead and and do API-based fail-fast development. You know, innovate like a startup. I'm going to use that till it dies. Thank you, Pat Gelsinger and Val Bercovici. I love that saying.
0: I like that one. And fail fast. Those are the best. Yeah.
2: You can go ahead and adopt that methodology. But when the time comes for you to pivot, because you're predictable, you're stable, you know what you're doing. You've made it through the lean discovery process. You've achieved success. You're profitable. Whatever it is, right? Whatever your success metric is. When you need to bring in those data protection, you don't have to re-architect, man. You're just... Turning on a license and deploying an agent, and the best part is, we legitimately don't care what you use. Yeah, you want to use Veeam? Use Veeam. It's fantastic. Yep. You want something from us? Snap Center's pretty cool. You should check it out. You know, if, if you want uh, centralized like service provider scale type stuff, we got Snap Protect and integrations with every kind of third party you could imagine. Yep. We don't have a dog in this hunt. Our play, uh, as I've started to restate it. Uh, And and I'll open this up for everyone listening. You know, if you don't agree, speak up. Podcast at NetUp.com. Our play here is we are attempting to remove data mass from the problem set. That's what we're doing. Remove the mass from data itself so that it's not as hard to move.
0: I like it.
5: I like it. Zero gravity.
2: Anti-gravity. I'm a big sci-fi guy. I think that'd be cool. Probably not real, but maybe gravity mirrors. Those (laughs) seem like they could work.
0: It's a lot easier for compute than it is for data.
2: It's kind of like a Skyhark versus Space Elevator. Space Elevator sounds cool until you realize like it's completely impossible. <laughs> so what haven't we talked about with data protection? Have we beaten this to death? It appears that the cloud is the thing, and then organizations are, are going to increasingly be moving that data out. Do we think there's a meaningful conversation about whether or not you need to own the object store? Because you know, that's really what cloud storage is. Should everyone just be dumping everything in Nearline and Glacier? Should we be taking a step back and going, well, do I do I want to leave it there long term? Are there any concerns there or, or things that go into that?
5: I'd be curious on Michael's take on this, especially given the recent ruling in the EU. Generally, if there is a concern, it's not cost. It's about sovereignty and, um, and compliance in the regulatory world, especially in Europe. That's where I hear the most about it. So, yeah, in the U.S. and in Australia, too, it's kind of like, yeah, just dump it all to the public cloud. We got this. But then outside, there's a lot more fear and trepidation around that.
3: Yeah, exactly. So definitely in the EU, people are bothered where their data is, right? So sovereignty is a, is a huge thing. So a lot of the joint Veeam NetApp customers that I've been going to, enterprise level customers, they've been actually looking at putting an vault in with, with a storage grid behind that. So they're keeping control of all their data locally in their own data center. So still leveraging that object store, but they know where their data is.
2: Yeah, I was talking to uh, Duncan, our director of Object Store here, the other day. Uh, we're we're going to bring him in uh, probably around December. But uh, we were talking about uh, how Storage Grid was doing, and he, and he was telling me how in EMEA, they are moving an incredible amount of virtual appliances. It's just like it's, it becomes part of the sales cycle. You know, hmm. they'll they'll go ahead and they'll tack on uh, a virtual Storage Grid web scale instance. You know, just like five terabytes, not a lot of storage, but you know, for that use case to go ahead and, and throw a VM on top of their data on tap or whatever and and to build a object store repository that they own and control internally. You know, it, at the time, I was just like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if they're playing with it. Are they looking at, should I be moving to more like S3 type workloads and, and away from POSIX interfaces or, or SCSI? But it sounds like perhaps the driver behind that is actually the whole data sovereignty thing. And you know, maybe bringing in some virtual AltaVault. You know, we can do this all side by side, all VMs. You know, this is truly software-defined.
0: Well, I was going to ask Michael, same thing. Does NetApp private storage become a solution for those concerned with data sovereignty?
3: Yeah, absolutely as well. So the SnapMirror to everything brings that back into play as well. So MPS and the whole data protection thing around AltaVault with the back end of storage grid. They're all use cases that I'm, I'm speaking to on a daily basis in my role.
5: play devil's advocate for a second though. You know, according to Amazon Web Services, Germany is their fastest growing market. I can't <laughs> totally rationalize this. You know, there's two sides to this coin of, you know, it all has to be private versus, yeah, we can, we can do some public as long as there's the right security, end-to-end encryption, we manage the keys on site. And I think it kind of, it really seems to depend company to company.
2: Yeah, and and it's very clear that the the hyperscalers get it. They understand they just can't build data centers in Iceland, Greenland, and and somewhere in APAC and service the world. They're going to end up having to build them everywhere uh, if they want to be able to sell everywhere. What I think is going to be interesting is you know as Amazon and, and Microsoft in particular, you know they've recently you know broke ground all over the place because they're they're trying to work around this. Okay, yep. fine. You don't want your data to leave your country? We'll put a data center in your country. We'll come we to want, you. Yeah, we want to be able to sell to you, right? So they're doing that. But what's that going to do the cost? Like, are they going to continue to be able to offer the pricing structures that they have today? Because right now they're getting a heck of a benefit from economies of scale. You know, when you start to have to actually put a data center in each one of these countries you want to actually store data in, you know, what does that start to do to the, the economics? Like, does cloud continue to be this almost free resource that we can just consume or at a certain point does the pendulum swing back it'll be interesting you know
0: yeah i can't imagine the price being the same in europe as it would be because obviously you can't take advantage of all of the infrastructure that you're already leaning on with amazon here in the states
2: yeah I don't, well i mean it's global pricing now at least i think it is but it'll it'll be interesting to see like long term what's the tail of this thing look like you know, it occurs to me that we've kind of beat this to death from every single angle, but we have forgot one thing. What's that? We forgot about talking about actually like what happens when you have to use these backups or disaster recovery copies. So we should probably uh, talk about the restore workflow, uh, kind of go around our panel a little bit, get some thoughts on that. To me, one, one of those old school practices, you know, going back to ops days, your backup's not done until you've done a restore. Yeah. You don't have a DR plan unless you've done a DR failover recently. You have to exercise the other half of that workflow, otherwise job not done. Task
1: complete but job not done. There are customers that don't test restores. I've seen it firsthand. They call in and they're like, Hey and we're like, Oh, have you tested this? Like no.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and you feel so bad in those cases because that's, unfortunately, when you find those edge things, just like, oh my God, you had this one file that was actually on this other system and it wasn't laid in correctly. You know, it's, it's those details. John, let's go ahead and kick this off with you. You know, what are some of the things people should consider from a restoration perspective? And then are there any pa- practices around that that you think should be mandatory or, or part of the default working flow?
4: this is actually top of mind for me right now because I've been working with a, a reference architecture. And they're, one of the things they're talking about is how do I lay out my volumes on disk, especially uh, thinking about virtual environment versus physical environment. Do I do use VMDKs? Do I guest mount? You know, what are all my options? And backup is easy. I mean, we've been doing it for a really long time. We've got a lot of experience, but it's only part of it. As you mentioned, the restore is really what's critical. What's what's key. And as you're thinking about your volume layout, look at what's using those volumes. If you've got a database that has both data and logs, you throw everything into one data store. When you restore that data store, well, you've just basically restored that to a point in time for your data and your logs. Which means you've just lost any roll forward capability. So you've really got to think about what is necessary for restoration and make sure you separate that data out so that you can get a granular restore.
2: Yeah, those are the always the really, really crappy ones too if you're a business, right? Because let's say you take a mild hit, somebody deletes some rows, right? Now you're sitting there and you're looking you're looking it down the face and you got two bad choices. We could just drop the records and lose the transactions that are corrupted. Or we have to roll back, in which case we're actually going to lose, like, a lot way more, more <laughs> yeah. right? Like, no matter what, you're losing stuff. It's yeah. just, it's a terrible, terrible place to be.
0: Do you want to cut your hand off or your hand in your arm? <laughs> yeah.
2: Michael, what about you? Any, any observations from a restoration side of the house, uh, things you run into or, or observations, things you think customers should think about?
0: Also, what Veeam does, you know, I know you guys... Yeah, actually, that's a good point. I'm curious to see how Veeam sort of contributes to that data protection solution, so... Feel free. Sure.
3: Really, just to echo on what John says, backup. That, it's not that exciting, but the recovery part is priceless. But also being able to verify those backups, we've got our sure replica, sure backup that basically spins up the backup file as a data store and allows you to verify the the app, the OS and the VM, and then sends a report out to user. And that's an automated process that just happens then also being able to, to leverage that backup data. So we, in version nine, we're going to have something that links in and integrates with you guys quite well on the Fuzz range around on-demand uh, sandbox for storage snapshot, Think Flex code, and actually us being able to automate that and bringing it up to the vSphere layer and then being able to automate the bringing up of those virtual machines in an isolated network to run as a test and dev type environment using your production storage. So that's kind of priceless.
2: That actually sounds very interesting, Uh, moving, you know, for a long time, you know, and and I've shared this on this podcast before. uh, I think we talked about it with John when we came on for Snap Center. In the database workflow alone, our Snap Managers move not for the backup and recovery capabilities. It's for the continuous integration benefits of FlexClone, like making that easy to consume from an application perspective. Is so wildly game changing from an organizational perspective yes. and developer efficiency and business agility. Like it, those are a lot of buzzwords, but they explain a problem set in a very terse manner. So deal with it. But uh, <laughs> the the important part uh, is is that I think that's awesome that you guys are extending that out because uh, because it just pushes us forward, right? You know, we've we've had that capability in the stamp managers for a long time. You know, it's time for us to go find. Something unique, something else that hasn't been done before. Go ahead and drop us a line when that comes out, man. We'll bring you back in here and get the details.
3: Oh yeah, sure.
2: All right, and I guess uh, we should finish this off with the only person on here who probably knows what she's talking about. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, we should probably finish smart, Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
5: no, I mean these guys really said it all. I, I like that saying. I don't know if you coined that, John, um, but uh, backup is easy, restore is is hard, or restore is interesting you know, it's important that we don't lose sight of the reason that we do all of this. And I really strongly believe that a backup plan needs to be tested just the way a DR plan is tested. So, you know, you would never implement a DR plan and then never test it. I mean, you test those at least once a year. We should have a, a restore from our backup plan. And beyond all that, yeah, I think Michael and John both both said it well. I don't need to add too much more in.
0: You're saving your voice for next week when we go to Insight Berlin and co-present again, aren't you?
5: Yeah, can you tell? I, I'm trying to maintain my uh, <laughs> my voice, so I'm not whispering while we're in Berlin.
2: It's okay. I understand. Pete gets up there and says, "Welcome to Mission Impossible." Or Mission Possible. Introducing Rachel Dines,
1: yep. and then he sits down, and then I sit down. <laughs> Make sure you drink lots of honey and tea.
5: Yep. Yeah, I will. That's the secret sauce.
2: Now you left out the whiskey. It's a, it's a required component.
0: I didn't leave it out. Okay. All right, let's uh, close out by getting some information from you peeps. First and foremost, I'm guessing everybody on this call is actually going to Inside Berlin, right? Michael? Yeah, I'll be there. Rachel? Yep. Yes. John? Oh, yeah. Awesome. And I know we all have respective sessions, and so we will be sure to leave the various sessions on the show notes of our page today. Uh, We're also going to leave some ways to get in touch with the different guests that we had this week. But why don't you guys give me a quick shout out? How can we find you on Twitter, Michael? Uh, So I'm at MichaelCade1. Awesome. Rachel, you're at Rachel Dines, right? Yep. And John? Easy.
4: And that's at J B Spinks. B as in boy. Very cool. All
0: right, we're going to leave that on the show notes, and uh, we're going to wrap this one up. You know, we've had several sessions previously about different parts of data protection. I think this was a really great way to sort of just put a bow in this conversation.
2: Yeah, you know what? Before we actually fully exit, I've got a
0: surprise. Don't surprise me. I've, uh-oh. Uh-oh. I've got a surprise. Uh-oh. I actually do have a surprise. I'm scared.
2: Unbeknownst to us, one of my good uh, co workers here and, and buddies went to VMworld EMEA. Okay. And the VMworld EMEA guys looked around and said, Where's the podcast? Where are the microphones? We should be recording. <laughs> without our involvement somebody pulled out a phone and they did a daily recap for no us no way and they mailed it in so let's go ahead and tack it on the end it's a couple of weeks old now because vmworld World mia was the same time as insight us but this audio recording made it to my inbox this week during the week and i've listened to it and it sounds like we missed a pretty cool
4: show man
0: ah oh, i love it i'm so glad all right let's we're gonna play that we'll play that on the end and then then we'll just wrap this up real quick
4: so real quick last time when i was on the podcast uh you guys asked me what's coming up next with Snap Center, and I honestly couldn't say anything. I just wasn't allowed. Uh, since then, we've got a little bit of news that I'm allowed to share. Uh, Snap Center is going to Do be tell. opening up an external beta for our snapcenter.next that's going to include Oracle on Linux. So, if we've got any customers out there that are interested in Oracle and Linux with the centralized UI of Snap Center, if you've got SQL as well, that would be awesome. Reach out to us. You've got my information on the podcast, or you can reach out to us at ng snapcenter dash beta at netapp.com, and we would love to have your participation.
0: Wow, I
2: man, Rachel! Now you got to drop some sort of product news. I don't know what's going on here, but but you're getting outclassed. We've got me <laughs> the one You
5: come on. Oh, never. I can I can always one up. Somebody, so you know, at Insight we did announce the latest version of the Altivault operating system. It was not in any of the keynotes or anything, but but you know it is now uh, shipping, and there's a lot of cool new features in there, like a couple new cloud supported uh, support for KMIP, for uh, key management, and best part, Altivault validated architecture on FlexPod. So now we you can yes, every sir. FlexPod you deploy, you know that should be backed up to the cloud with Altivault. So mm-hmm. cool stuff coming, just shipping right now now and um yeah this we're, we just hit the one year anniversary of being acquired it, it has really flown It's come a long way in that in that year and i forgot
0: our anniversary <laughs> that's all, <laughs> you is, all you gotta do is ask rachel to one up and she's got you back <laughs> yeah no, that's, that's
2: awesome i so love the fact that you're like no i totally got this yeah.
0: go ahead go <laughs> uh my favorite Southie. well before we go i'm looking forward to listening to this amia version podcast this is going to be a blast i gotta say i had to listen it was fantastic all right, so that's a wrap. That is VMworld 2015
1: Amir over and done with. Yeah! Woo! Yeah!
3: All right, so some great things that resonated this year at the show. Pleased to say that we had a, quite a bit, of fair bit of attendance. And we're going to go around some of our tech guys here on the stand and we're going to just get a quick snippet of what resonated with them the most. So, Mr. Wackers. Hi, so Philip is based out of Belgium, EMEA CSE for healthcare and some other stuff. Just want to mention Altavault because even if VMworld is virtualization, we had some great conversation on Altavault. Even some EMC customers showing big interest in it, that want to step away from data domain, like doing different things, back up to the cloud. So there was uh, some great conversations about that. So I'm passing on to the next guy that can give an update. My name is Yasin Tamalesi, I did most of
0: my stuff with the uh, generic CDOT stuff, uh, all flash fast, a lot about the data fabric and also FlexPod and, and things like that.
2: My name is Mark from Switzerland. I'm consulting system engineer. Uh, For me, definitely, it's the one world, one nation show here at the VMworld 2015 Barcelona. I had a couple of good uh, discussions on our big whiteboard table, which we had a lot of fun this week. And what I think of is Storage Grid, which is the next big software which we offer. I'm passing along too.
5: Hi, this is Joseph from the Saudi team. So, I was covering mostly the boat. There were a lot of customers coming with the v- VBlock background asking about the boat and what we do with Cisco, especially. I got a Quite good customers from the Middle East, from Qatar, from Saudi, from Dubai. I think we need to focus on the Flexport more. We need to promote Flexport more and more with Cisco. We need to strengthen our collaboration with Cisco. I got a lot of questions on All Flash Fast as well. Uh, I think we need to do our marketing a bit more on the All Flash Fast, and
1: I'm passing the mic. Hi everybody, it's Roberto here from EMEA. This year was mostly about helping customers to understand how they can solve their own problems. So it's not about a solution, not about a product, it's we have a problem show us how you can solve it and how you can help us solve it. So this was the the good thing
4: and a lot of interesting conversations around that. And I'm passing by to the next. Hi, my name is Caro Verheerst, I'm a PSC based in Belgium. I had to help on the hands-on lab. It was very amazing to see how many VMs they were fired up, how many sessions they took. Our lab was SnapCenter Server, had to do with the new product, and I was quite impressed with the product and a few customers liked it also, so it looks promising. I'm gonna pass it to...
0: Hi, I'm Arno Boer
2: from the Netherlands. Uh, I really enjoyed this time at VMworld Europe 2015. A lot of interesting conversation, every topic came by, all Flash fast, storage grids. C-dots, data Fabric, and, and everything else and people are really looking for
3: uh, solutions. VFOLS, e 4 and we really can help customers to go
5: further. And thank you, we now pass the microphone to... Hi, my name is Gerhard Wolf, I'm the global technical account manager dated in uh, Germany and for me it was very impressive sessions here not only talking about virtual solutions we are talking about the data fabric object stores the people come with very interesting questions and we can deliver them a good solution out of our portfolio for
4: example university looking for x-ray storage object base never heard about
5: it before and now they are rethinking and then this is a great opportunity we have here to deliver the people the solutions they need
4: Hi, my name is Guillaume, I'm in the Enterprise C-Team in France, back in Paris. What I really liked was to set up a little workshop with customers, taking time to understand their needs, answer their questions, and it was a great time. Hi, this is Rhett Bigler, I'm the VMware Technical Alliance Manager out of uh, RTP in the United States. So, I would say the main theme that I got out of the show was customers looking for how we can make their life easier and simpler. I spent most of my time on point um, over at Evo Rail, which is of course all about setting up a complete infrastructure in 15 minutes, which certainly simplifies people's lives. But I also had some great conversations with people about AltaVault, the main feedback being Wow, that is a great way to speed up and simplify my backups. That was kind of fun.
1: Hi, this is Alexandra. I'm SC from France. I retain of this experience is that we have a lot of talking with customers, and in fact, they are really interesting in what we do. The fabric, of course, and in fact, we have a lot of discussion around FlexPod and around hyperconverged solutions against VMware.
3: Hello, my name is André Ossel. I'm a system engineer from the Netherlands. Uh, we have a great stand here at uh, VMworld in Barcelona. We had great discussions with customers of all kinds of solutions we can offer for them, including our data fabric
4: and our all-flash proposition. Check it out on NetApp.com. All right, everyone, thank you for listening. This is Alex Rizzetto. I'm one of the Susan's architects coming across the pond from RTP. I wanted to thank everybody who participated. This team has been great. I was here representing the converged infrastructure team. I think the main topic I'm taking away from today's conversation is in the European market, there's an extreme interest in the converged infrastructure. We're still number one. The Evo Rail is an emerging market, and, you know, there's a lot of positioning we need to work on. Again, thanks, everyone, so much for listening. I appreciate it, and everyone have a great NetApp day. Woo!
5: Yeah!
0: Alright, well that music tells me it's time to go And so if you want to get in touch with us Send us an email at at podcast.netapp.com Hit us up on Twitter at NetApp Subscribe to the podcast on both SoundCloud and iTunes At Tech on Tap And until next week Bye for now And thanks for stopping by (laughs) Well done, Justin, well done
2: Yes, we're probably going to have to to come up with a new way to end this thing Dude, we can't take your bye for now
0: thing No, I have to to, to change
1: it It's going to change The tears are rolling I don't want to steal your oh, stuff, That's yeah. you know, your, your thunder.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I will kind of admit, a few times I've had to close that. I was like, I can't say bye for now. That's Pete's thing. Oh. I've always been like, peace, because I, <laughs> I can't think of anything else.
0: <laughs> Shout out to Eric the Middard. That's who I got it from. Love guy, rest in peace.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: All righty, buddy. Mean it. You've been awesome. Best of luck. We're going to be working with you more in the future. Take
3: care. Right. I love
0: NetApp.
4: I thought B...